In John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, we read this. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my disciples, my true disciples. And this brings great glory to my Father. I want to spend and really focus on that last statement that Jesus makes, which was, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples, and this brings great glory to my Father. What does that mean, and what kind of fruit is Jesus talking about? Bearing fruit is actually a very common allegorical picture used within Scripture to define the followers of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, Jesus warns his followers of false teachers, and he tells his followers, by their fruit you will be able to recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. So we will be able to tell which teachers and preachers are good based off their fruit, but still what fruit? As followers of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit, who is a form of God that lives in us, and the Holy Spirit produces good fruit. And Paul tells us in Galatians 5:22 through 23, he tells us, but the fruit of the Spirit, capital S, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Therefore, if we follow Jesus and believe in him, and the Spirit, capital S, lives in us and bears in us the fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, in other words, as we follow Jesus, the Spirit shapes us to look like Jesus, and we bear good fruits. If this is your first time checking out this podcast, welcome. The purpose of this podcast is simply titled Setting Up Camp with John. That's me, by the way. And the purpose is for us to explore and come to understand God's word and God's will as we're only here for a little while. In this episode, we are concluding a series of talks titled, How Do You View Jesus? A series in which we explore how we view Jesus and whether or not those views are true based off what the Bible says about the characteristics of Jesus. 
I think many of us view Jesus as a teacher or a pastor who truly doesn't care much about us, just wants to tell us how to live our lives. But in the first episode of this series, we discovered how that isn't true based off the story of Jesus and the disciples in the sinking boat. Jesus does in fact care about us, and he is much more than a teacher. Many of us also view Jesus as fully God, hardly man, which is not true. Some, someone, we have to be holy or perfect in every way to approach. That's what I mean by fully God, hardly man. We see Jesus as someone who is very hard to approach, someone who is distant in our lives or out of reach because we're not good enough. But in the second episode of the series, we discovered that Jesus' love for us allows us to be in his arms and that he does not look down on us but rather lifts us up into his holy family many of us also view jesus as someone who can do great things but he always fails to do them in the timing we expect while this is sometimes true we learned in our last episode that god's timing truly is perfect and that his miracles are worth waiting for In this episode, we're setting up camp in Matthew chapter 21, verses 18 through 22. So if you have a Bible uh, or notebook or Bible app or whatever you'd like to open to follow along, you can do that now. But I'm going to go ahead and start. We're going to be in Matthew 21, verses 18 through 22, which say this. In the morning, as Jesus was returning to Jerusalem, He was hungry, and he noticed a fig tree beside the road. He went over to see if there were any figs, but there were only leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again, and immediately the fig tree withered up. The disciples were amazed when they saw this and asked, How did the fig tree wither so quickly? Then Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. The first thing I want to point out in this passage is that Jesus is hungry. Why is that important? Because this is only the second time that Jesus is depicted as being hungry within Scripture. The first account of Jesus being hungry is found in Jesus' first 40 days of ministry, which is found in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, Mark chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, and Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. You can check those out if you're curious. But Jesus in those passages is in the desert. He has not eaten for 40 days, and the devil approaches Jesus and attempts to tempt Jesus to turn some rocks into some bread, which Jesus has the power to do. Jesus is depicted here as being hungry, yet still, Jesus declines the offer, and he then quotes old scripture, scripture from the Old Testament, and says, Man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So even as Jesus had not eaten for 40 days, and he was hungry, and he had the ability to make food for himself to eat, he resisted. And something about that just tells me that Jesus does not need food. 
there's actually a really funny passage from scripture which is found in John chapter 4 verses 31 through 38 where the disciples they've been off doing their own kind of thing they come back they meet up with Jesus and they think that Jesus needs something to eat for whatever reason maybe he was looking a little famished or whatever else and so they go up to him and they urge Jesus to eat they're literally begging Jesus to eat and Jesus responds to them I have food to eat that you know nothing about and this statement confuses the disciples to the point where they say to each other they're looking around just going could someone have brought him food they they literally it goes right over their head jesus is obviously speaking in a metaphor here and he's being all jesus-y about the situation but they imagine i guess that in the time that they were gone that someone probably brought jesus some food but luckily Jesus explains to them and he says my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work so the bottom line from all this is that Jesus does not eat not really that's not true Jesus is depicted eating in a few occasions but appears to me that even when hungry or even when his companions urge him to eat Jesus did not eat Yet here in this passage, Jesus is hungry, and he sees a fig tree in the distance, and he approaches it, and as he approaches it, he finds nothing on it, and so he curses it, commanding it never to bear fruit again. And as we read this, we have to ask ourselves, is Jesus throwing a tantrum? Is Jesus so lacking in self-control that he gets so mad at the tree for not bearing fruit that he curses it. Is Jesus like that hangry? Like he's just, he needed something to eat. Um, and so he gets so mad when there's nothing to eat that he curses the fig tree. Not to mention, it was also not the correct season for a fig tree to even have ripe good fruit for Jesus to eat. When it says that Jesus approached the tree and found leaves, that is because that's the season it was in. It was not the season of the year for the tree the fig tree to have fruit that was able to be eaten yet so is jesus not only ill-tempered and childish but also stupid like was jesus the creator of the universe really unaware of what season of the year it was was he really expecting to find fruit on the tree or was jesus using this moment to try and teach the disciples something. To find the answer to that question, we must understand the context of this story. So let's go back a few verses. Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 17 say this. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, The scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him, to Jesus, in the temple, and he healed them. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. But the leaders were indignant, which means they were angry. 
they ask Jesus, Do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied. Haven't you ever read the scriptures? For they say, You have taught children and infants to give you praise. Then he returned to Bethany, where he stayed overnight. So this passage from scripture is often used in sermons to teach about the justness of Jesus's anger, that Jesus did in fact get angry, but only over the things that truly mattered. But let us look at it simply as the precursor of the passage about the fig tree. So to recap, Jesus has entered the temple courts, which was essentially the church in Jesus's time. It was the people Uh, the place where holy people would be. It was a place where people would go to get healing and to get forgiveness for their sins. And so Jesus walks in and he finds people buying and selling sacrificial animals, animals used as an atonement for one's sin. Perhaps some of the merchants there are also selling jewelry or food as well. Who really knows? Uh, This causes Jesus to overturn the tables of those selling, of the merchants, and driving out all of them. Why? Why the sudden uproar and commotion? Because Jesus was upset that the temple, the house of prayer, the place that God was supposed to be dwelling in, had become a shopping mall, complete with a food court forever 21 and sacrifice surplus. Jesus drives the merchants out, leaving who? Let's take a look at who's left after this uh, mall flash mob fiasco. We've got the lame, those who were riddled with health problems. They probably had come to the temple seeking healing in the first place, but they were there still and Jesus healed them. There were also children there and they fell in love with Jesus. The young boys probably thought that Jesus was some sort of superhero with superhuman strength flipping tables left and right. And they got so excited, they began shouting, Hosanna, or praise God for the son of David. There were also chief priests and teachers of the law there. And being a temple, that makes sense, because these were essentially the pastors, deacons, and teachers of Jesus' time. And listen to what they get mad about in verses 15 and 16. It says, The leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. But the leaders were indignant. They asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? It it says, seeing all the wonderful things that Jesus had done, the chief priests and teachers of the law got mad about the little kids praising Jesus. They could have gotten mad about the temple being in shambles, like Jesus made a mess of the place. They could have been mad about that. They could have been mad about Jesus healing people, which was technically their job. But no, they get mad about a bunch of kids singing about Jesus. When I was younger, uh, I used to think that the teachers of the law and the chief priests were in on the money that was being made, and that that's why they got angry. Like, they were charging a tax for allowing the merchants to use the temple property. And who knows, maybe that was happening. But the Bible states that these 
quote-unquote pastors were mad that Jesus was allowing kids to sing about him. And notice Jesus' statement in verse 16. Right after they asked him, do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus says, yes. Haven't you ever read the scriptures? For they say, you have taught children and infants to give you praise. Jesus is essentially saying to them, these kids, they know who I am, but you have no clue. And then Jesus leaves. He spends the night in a smaller town called Bethany, gets up the next morning and begins to try and teach his disciples something, which is something important. Jesus, denier of foods and creator of the universe, most likely knew that the fig tree was not in season to bear ripe and good fruit. And just because Jesus was hungry does not mean that he was seeking out something to eat. Perhaps, perhaps Jesus is not ill-tempered or lacking in self-control, nor is he dumb. But rather, he's trying to teach the disciples an important lesson in bearing fruit. Jesus approached the temple, most likely knowing what was going on inside, much like he most likely knew it was out of season for figs. But Jesus goes into the temple. He approaches the temple hungry. He wanted to walk into the temple and to see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. But instead, Jesus saw the lame not being healed by the teachers and preachers. Jesus saw people making a profit off of others' sins. Jesus saw hate, anger, chaos, short tempers, rudeness, evil, selfishness, and a large lack of self-control. So he flipped tables, much like he cursed the fig tree. He drove out the merchants, much like he told the tree never to bear fruit again. Jesus was hungry, hungry for the fruit of the Spirit. And so he went to the temple, the supposed church, the intended holy place, and found nothing but branches that were not attached to the true vine. Jesus is trying to teach his disciples the importance of bearing fruit, of being attached to the one true vine. But look at how the disciples respond in verses 20 through 22. The disciples were amazed when they saw this and asked, how did the fig tree wither so quickly? Then Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. They don't get it. They're more amazed at the power of Jesus and the power he has over a fig tree. After having seen Jesus perform many miracles up to this point, mind you, they're focused on Jesus' power instead of Jesus' teaching and Jesus' presence. So notice Jesus, or so then Jesus answers their question. He tells them how he does these miraculous things, but notice Jesus' heart. He isn't telling them how to do magic tricks 
or how to make their greatest wishes come true. He tells them how to be connected to the vine. He points the disciples to prayer, to fellowship with God the Father, to conversation with their Creator, our Creator. I fear many of us view Jesus as an angry, stubborn guy who just flips tables and curses fig trees for no reason. But the truth is that Jesus wants us to be a part of Him. He wants us to abide in His love and His grace. He wants for our joy to be complete. Don't believe me? Well, listen to the rest of what John says, or to what Jesus says in John 15, verses 9 through 7. It says this I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything the Father told me, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. If you couldn't tell, I was having a hard time flipping the page there for a second. (laughs) Sometimes we're too focused on Jesus' power instead of being focused on His presence in our lives. So how do you view Jesus? I want to close off this series doing the same thing that we did when we started it. So wherever you are, unless you're driving, like I said last time, close your eyes and begin to imagine Jesus. What does he look like? What is he doing? Is he smiling? With your eyes still closed, think of your answer to these questions. Do you view Jesus as a teacher who does not care about your well-being? Or do you view him as a loving king? Do you view Jesus as holy and unreachable or as a near and loving father? Do you view Jesus as an inattentive, careless miracle worker or as a savior whose timing is perfect? Do you view Jesus as an angry yet powerful God who merely wants you to follow all the rules and do what's right? Or do you view Jesus as a loving God who wants to abide in you and fill your life with love, joy, and peace? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the promise that if we abide in you, you will abide in us as well. God, thank you for never giving up on us and for always pursuing us and chasing after us. God, I just ask that we would see your heart, that we would feel your presence, and that we would just be aware of your presence in our lives. 
that we would be aware of what you're trying to teach us, of what you're trying to tell us, that we would just be aware of you and the things you're doing in our lives, especially in this season. God, you're so good. We love you so much. And on, on uh, my behalf, I just ask that you would fill me and anyone under the sound of my voice with your fruits, with, the love, with your love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control and faithfulness. God, we love you so much, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, I hope that this series gave you some perspective on the heart of Jesus. If not, I at least hope that you learned the point, uh, learned that the point of reading scripture is to view Jesus and his heart for his children or for us. It's not to view Jesus as he applies to our lifestyles, but rather how he changes them. Next week, we'll be jumping into a new series titled What's Good, uh, where we will go through the book of Titus, and I am so excited to see you all then.